here with you today. Uh, my wife and I, as missionaries with the Alliance, have been on the field now for three terms. And we were in Peru for 10 years and now in Ecuador for the last four years. But the last time we were here was at Stephen Crick's wedding, Stephen Crick Volstead. And you were just in the other building. So it's been great to come and see how the church is growing and continues to grow. Keep up the good work. I wonder what will happen next time we come back. You know, how big this place will be and maybe it will be 10 services right here or something like that. Uh, but continue the growth. I surrender all. This, that song gets me every time. I don't know why. But uh, maybe because we always need to continue surrendering to Him. And uh, as I think about God giving me second chances, I think of surrendering. It's me surrendering, it's He giving me a chance again. And I forget, and then I go about my day, and then I have to surrender again. And that's kind of the way it goes. I want to talk to you this morning about second chances, but also about open doors. The theme this year for Missionary Conference is open doors. And I want to congratulate you all uh, for your partnership with Steve and Crick Volstead and helping them get, they do know you as Crick, right? Not Christina. Christy. Uh, Steve and, and Christy, Christy Volstead. I don't know if I can say that. Um, and helping partner with them as missionaries uh, from Russia and here on home assignment this year. We've seen their house, the way that you guys have helped outfit their house. And it's amazing to see how God's people come together to help the missionaries get back into things when we get back to the States. I want to talk to you about open doors to the lost, to the least, and to the last in Latin America. If you have your Bibles, look with me in in Luke chapter 19, and we'll read verses 9 and 10. Luke chapter 19, verse 9 says, Jesus said to him, talking to the Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. Verse 10 is up on the screen. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. God has loved lost people from the beginning of time. The Bible, all through the Bible, God talks about loving lost people. And all through church history, the same thing. And it came to the point in 1897 when the first missionaries, the first Christians, arrived to Ecuador. They were with the Gospel Missionary, Missionary Union, but then they read this verse and they, and they talked about this verse with someone called A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Alliance. And they became Alliance missionaries. So in a way, the first missionaries that arrived to Ecuador were Christian Missionary Alliance. You know, as well as I, that the Alliance is much bigger outside of the United States than inside of the United States. And in 1897, the very first Christians arrived. Did you know that the first Christians, they arrived to not a country with open doors. They arrived to a country with closed doors. In fact, the people we see up here now, I don't think they, when they first went to the mission field, they looked like that. I think this was taken later on in their missionary experience, uh, maybe at the end. But Homer Christman and this lady over here, her name was Queen. When they went to Ecuador, the doors were closed. In fact, Queen was in the southern province of Loja of Ecuador, and, and she was telling people about Jesus and, and witnessing to the children. And a man walked by and said, if you keep doing this, something awful is going to happen. You need to leave town. She stayed, and the next day they doused her with gasoline and tried to light a match, and the match wouldn't light. And she wrote in her diary that God has given me a second chance to love the lost. Do you have lost here in Erie? 
course there's still lost people here in Erie. Are the doors open there, open here, like they are open in Ecuador now? Maybe not. But do you love lost people? Queen wrote in her diary because she loved lost people. Do you love lost people? How do you love lost people? Maybe accepting, maybe sharing with them, respecting them. But Queen found a way today, thanks to people like Queen and Homer Christman and some of these other missionaries, when the doors were closed, today we have wide open doors in Ecuador because they were faithful. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever given at least one dollar to missions or more? Raise your hand. If you've given at least one dollar to missions. I want to say thank you for giving to missions. Because you gave when the doors were closed and people like you through the years, 112 years of continuous missionary presence in Ecuador, because you and others gave, we were able to finish our task. We had 112 years of continuous missionaries in Ecuador until a month and 23 days ago. There's no longer an Ecuador field in Ecuador because we finished our job. Not because there was shortcuts, there was cuts in the budget, not because of those reasons, but because the missionaries finished the goals and reached their goals. Praise the Lord and thank each of you for giving. Sometimes we wonder, where does that money go when we give to the Great Commission Fund? Does it really make a difference? Is it really worth it? I'm here to say yes. Thank you. Thank you for giving because we've been able to finish our task in Ecuador. Because you gave. Today we have a strong national church. And the doors are so wide open. We've literally had people come to our homes and asking us, how can we get to know Jesus better? Does that happen here in Erie? People banging at your door, tell me about Jesus. Maybe the doors are closed back here in the States again. And maybe we have to plug through like the, the first missionaries of Ecuador. In the first churches of Ecuador. Maybe that's what God wants us to do. Plug through. Today we're happy to say the doors are wide open in Ecuador. The very first churches ever, Christian Missionary Alliance. 1909, the very first church was started in Ecuador. In 1912, in Guayaquil, our biggest city. And in the capital city in 1922. The building, do we have that picture up there? Can we go back one? The building that was built in Quito was built in the day and at night, people that were opposed to the gospel would tear it down. Imagine doing church building like that. That's how it was then. You know how it is now? The government has given land for the church to build. That's how the change has come. So maybe if we plug through today when the doors are closed here in North America, maybe they'll open again. And we have to do our part, like the missionaries. Open doors to the lost. You know, the last meeting we had with the National Church, we were in an auditorium about the size of this church here. And all the pastors were there. And they, and they just wanted to say thank you to the missionaries. There were only about ten of us remnant missionaries left. We were up on the platform. Lisa and I had only been there four years. So it's kind of embarrassing, you know. We're up there uh, representing 112 years of missionaries, you know. And, and, and they said, thank you. Had you not come, we wouldn't know Jesus. Had you not come, we'd be going to hell. We didn't even know we were going to hell, but you sent missionaries. Tell your churches back home, thank you. You sent missionaries. 
And because you gave, we could start a church. They said there's four things that we're leaving behind, the legacy. Number one, we taught them how to do evangelism properly. Number two, we taught them how to do discipleship. Number three, we, we, we taught them how to manage their time and their finances. And number four, you taught us how to do missions, they said. Today, they had their own Great Commission Fund in Ecuador. And now they said to us, before we left, they said, now let's partner together. And, and just like you came in 1897, we can go to a country that they've never heard. And we can go to get, let's partner together and go. And we can reach those people that have never heard. Open doors to the lost. Second, open do doors to the least. Look with me in your Bibles with Matthew 25. And this passage probably has been the key passage in my own life in the last four years. God has been banging me over the head with this passage. It's the passage of the sheep and the goats. We know the story pretty well. The sheep are those that do the gospel that don't only hear it, but they act out the gospel as well. And they're on the right. And on the left are the goats, those that have not been doing the gospel. Look at what it says in verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. If we were standing before the great judge today, the judge would be up front and those on the right would be sheep. So you guys on the right get to be sheep today. And those on the left get to be goats. Sorry. The sheep go to heaven, the goats don't. Do you guys want to be sheep? Yeah, that's the thing, right? I'll say maybe it's this way. Maybe the, yeah, the right is over here and these are the sheep and these are the goats. We don't want to be goats. We want to be sheep. Not only because we want to go to heaven, but we want to act out the gospel. James says, show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by what I do. We all know that salvation is through faith alone in Christ. But James makes it clear, and so does this passage, that we need to act out our faith. We need to go to the, to the least of these. Now, who are the least of these? That's the question I had for a long time. Well, who are the least of these? We used to think they were the poor, right? Whoever's poor. Well, we always think we're the poor ones. So we don't have to go out to anybody else because we're poor. Well, then we went to the mission field and we were working with young people that were kind of poor and they had like mud shacks and things. They're the poor. Well, then we took the young people to the garbage dump. We have a ministry in the garbage dump and we say, okay, they're the really poor. And then the last time we were there, we were playing soccer on the dump. And, uh, and you don't want to fall down when you're playing soccer in the garbage. You fall down in the dump, it stinks. Okay? So everybody's trying to keep their footing. I don't know what happened. I slipped a little bit, fell right in the garbage. Everybody laughed. There was a big cloud of smoke. After we played soccer, we, we did a one-on-one -on -one discipleship. And I was paired up with Moises. Moises was 14 years old. And he was all excited. And he said, since you brought food, he said, I want to pray for the food. I said, Okay. Uh, let's pray. I didn't know you were a Christian. He said, yeah, I'm a Christian now. So he knelt down in the dump. And so, since I was already dirty, I knelt down next to him. And he, he started to pray like this. He said, dear Jesus, thank you for providing food for me today. But I pray for the poor. That you'd provide for them today. And if you want me to, I'll, I'll share what I have. 
I thought I was poor. I thought our young people were poor. I thought the garbage dump people were poor. And here's this guy in the garbage dump saying, no, I want to pray for the really poor. And then it dawned on me. This passage doesn't say that you need to go to the poor. It says you need to go to the least of these. They're needy. Some are in prison, in, the, in jail. Others are in, in the hospital. Some might be hungry because they have no food to eat. But it's not about poorness. Because there's always someone who's poorer than us. Poorer than we are. So what are you doing to the least of these? Jesus doesn't say, if you send a check, that's good. He says, if you go, then you get to be a sheep. I like what Tony Campolo says. He calls the least of these Jesus in his disguises. If you've ever given something to someone who is needy, there's a weird spiritual connection. I can't explain it theologically, but there's this weird connection like Jesus is the one that's looking back at you saying, thank you. When we've given fruit out in the garbage dump to the children, we, we, we give them this fruit because they've been looking through the garbage and they've found apples and things and, and they're half eaten, they're black and they might have worms in them. They eat them anyway. But when we come with fresh apples, their eyes light up and they hug us and they say, thank you. And it's like you're looking into Jesus' eyes and he's the one saying thank you. Jesus says, if you do it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Unfortunately, in our ministry, I haven't always obeyed the Lord. We do have ministry in the garbage dump now. Ministry to taking 150 children out of the dump while the parents work in the dump in Peru. And also in, in Peru, we're starting an orphanage. But in Ecuador, the Lord was banging me over the head with this passage as well. And this lady who taught me in school, Joan Ewan, came forward and she said, Rich, I've got this ministry in the, in the prison with women and we need your help. Inca Link needs to partner with us. And we have a, a Bible study, and she's the one, by the way, on the green. And all this, these are people in prison, and actually other people that are visiting prison there to, to help in the Bible study. She said, we have a Bible study on Wednesday. I'd like you to be there at 9 a.m. Now, you all know when God speaks to you, you know it. He speaks to you in your heart, you know it. And God was making it clear, Rich, you guys need to get involved to help these women that get out of prison get a job. Because nobody wants to hire them after they've been in prison and they go back to the same job of selling drugs or whatever and they get back to prison. We need help. And so I thought about it and didn't really say yes or no, but Wednesday came and I made like Jonah and went the opposite direction. Have you ever done that? You know, you know you're supposed to be here and you go that way. That's what I was doing that day. Drove a completely the opposite direction and... Everything was fine as I was driving down the road, and we came to the double yellow line, and, and, and there was this big gas truck that was there. The gas truck was going really slow, but they're nice enough in Ecuador when they're going slow. He pulled over to the right so that we could pass, even though it was a double yellow line. Now, there were three cars in front of me, and they all passed without any problem. And I looked. There was plenty of room, so I also started to pass. And when we were passing, it, it wasn't that we crossed with all four wheels. Just two of the wheels crossed the double yellow line. Okay, It wasn't full disobedience. It was half disobedience. Have you ever disobeyed God? 
Sometimes we try to justify it, don't we? <laughs> Half disobedience. And so as I was crossing, I noticed that there was a car honking his horn. And, and so I thought, ooh, that might be a policeman. So I pulled back in in front of the truck and, and slowed down. And sure enough, it wasn't only a policeman. It was the colonel of the police. And he motioned to me to follow him, and I followed him to the patrolman, and I heard him say to the two patrolmen, if you don't put this guy in jail, I'll put you two in jail. That's when I knew it'd be a bad day. Now, in Ecuador, you don't go to jail for this. The colonel was mad. Actually, the colonel didn't put me in jail. God put me in jail. When I arrived to jail that day, the first phrase I heard was, Fresh meat. <laughs> I kind of ran over to the corner. <laughs> I'm like pretending not to hear. And I had to call my friends to bring me the bedding and food. And, and I had to pay $20 to get a mattress. There were 70 of us in a room. Many sleeping on the floor. And again, I found myself like Jonah. This time in the belly of a fish. What did Jonah do when he was in the belly of the fish? He prayed. There's nothing else to do. So here I am in jail, nothing else to do. So I prayed. And I prayed something like this, if I remember correctly. Hi, God, how's it going? What am I doing here? And God has a way of bringing right back to our mind what we disobeyed in. And he brought to my mind, you could have been sharing in a Bible study in the women's prison, visiting the prison. But instead, you find yourself in jail. Which one's better? Okay, Lord, I'm a good Christian too. I, I can catch my lesson real quick. I understand. You're right. I should have obeyed. Forgive me. First John 1, 9, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I think the last part of my prayer was something like this. Get me out of here. I, I think that's what it was. Well, the lawyer came that Wednesday, and he said, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is you will get out. The bad news is 30 days minimum. And I'm like, what? I only crossed with, with two wheels. He's like, no, the, the, the guy was really mad. I said, well, uh, you've got a lot of contacts, and contacts in Ecuador, whoever, who you know makes a difference. I said, you've been a lawyer a long time. Maybe you can help you know, get me out. He said, even if all my contacts were to line up in a row and say yes to me, 15 days minimum. So then I got on my knees for real and started claiming to God, help. I said, I said I was sorry. I've learned my lesson. I'll never do it again. All day Wednesday passed. All day Thursday passed. Friday, how many days was Jonah in the whale? Three days. Friday, I had to appear before the judge, and, and I had to go before the secretary, and she was asking all these questions, you know, like, what's your name? How old are you? What religion are you? You're still allowed to ask that in Ecuador. I said, well, I'm an evangelical Christian. She kind of smiled a little bit. Then I noticed on her wall it said Romans 10, 9, and 10, and that's kind of a Christian verse. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So I thought, maybe she's a Christian. And through the, the process, I was telling her, you know, I'm supposed to be taking care of my three daughters. My wife is in Canada with my son. I just don't want my wife to come back and find that I'm not taking care of my three daughters. I don't care if she finds me in jail. But if she finds that I'm not taking care of my three daughters, I had called someone to take care of them. But 
you husbands and fathers know exactly what I'm talking about. So I said, I need to get out of here to this lady. Well, she started talking to me. She said, so you're a Christian too. I said, you are? She goes, yeah. I said, well, what church do you go to? She said, I go to the Christian Missionary Alliance Church of the Valley. I said, no kidding. My parents helped start that church. Who are your parents? Milton and Pat Brown. Oh, I know them. We started talking about all the pastors and everybody we knew. And at the end, she tapped me on the hand. She said, don't worry, you'll be out today. I said, thanks, but the guy that needs to sign is the judge. You're the secretary. She said, no, 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 don't, don't worry. He also goes to the Alliance Church of the Valley. So I'm putting my feet up on the table. I'm like, yes. The lawyer, his mouth just fell open. He's not a Christian. He said, with all my contacts, I had you out at the best in 15 days. But your God got you out in three. I said, of course he got me out. He's the one that put me in. You want to know what the first thing is that I did after I got out of jail? I probably should have taken a shower. But I got home and Joan Ewan showed up with two women that had just gotten out of prison and they needed a place to be baptized. We had a pool in our apartment complex and so they came over and were baptized in our pool. Like a friend of mine says, watch this. God has a way of having us obey even when we try to disobey. Are you disobeying God in any way, shape, or form today? I suggest that you obey now. Because inside the belly of the fish, it stinks. And God will have you come around anyway. Why don't you do it before the fish gets you? Are you disobeying Him in any way? Maybe if you make the decision today, you can spare the agony of being in the fish. So open doors to the lost, open doors to the least. Are there any least of these here in Erie? Are there any people that are needy in hospitals and prisons around? I like what the youth group was doing. Shiver, naked, vomit, jail, starve. That's amazing because there's still people around us that need help in these areas. Going to the least of these. I want to show you a video of kind of my step of obedience, what was kind of the product of obeying God after getting out of jail. Uh, working on two ministries in, in Ecuador called Casablanca Project, and there we're helping with a teen pregnancy home, helping teenagers get out uh, and kind of helping them in their pregnancy and all those things, but also a sewing factory for the women that get out of prison. Let's watch this together. This is Maria. At the age of 15, she was forced to terminate her first pregnancy. A year and a half later, she left her home and went to live with her boyfriend. She's now 18. Maria has been tested and confirmed to be pregnant again. Her boyfriend no longer wants to be part of her life or the life of her baby. Control, betrayal, and abuse had characterized this relationship. This time, Maria does not want to make the same mistake. She wants to have this baby. She has nowhere to live and no one to support her. Maria needs a second chance. It's 
This is Lucy, who became pregnant at the age of 16. Ashamed, confused, and feeling alone, she struggled with the decision to keep her baby. Lucy wished baby Allison had not been born. She rejected her own child. Feelings of guilt and regret drove her to alcoholism. In time, Lucy and her daughter went to church and were reconciled to each other. God gave Lucy a second chance. Lucy eventually married David, the father of her child. They have built a Christian home. David is a youth pastor. Together, they offer women a second chance. Project funds will be used to establish a teen pregnancy center on the Casablanca property. Monies will cover costs for counseling, outfitting the center, food and housing for eight teens at a time, and education on birthing and parenting. When women are desperate and naive, they make bad choices. Often they traffic drugs and get caught. When released after years of incarceration, they are unemployable. They return to criminal activity to provide for their basic needs. Angie is from South Africa. Naively, she got caught with drugs in her suitcase, planted by her boyfriend. Minimum sentence is eight years. Eight Andrea came to Ecuador to traffic drugs so she could get enough money for her son to have a heart operation. Desperate, she thought trafficking drugs was the only way she could get the money she needed. While in prison, both Angie and Andrea attended a Bible study and found the Lord. Now Angie and Andrea have been released from prison. They need honorable employment. Often, government and foreign embassies do not provide any rehabilitation programs. There is no family support. It is impossible to find employment in a country where poverty and the oppression of women are common. The sewing factory will provide honorable work for women like Angie and Andrea. It will train them with skills in manufacturing and give them a job reference so they are employable. It will create a bridge between prison life and their new life. It will give them a second chance. Project Funds will establish the sewing factory. There is a need to expand the building on the Casablanca property, purchase sewing machines, supplies, and other equipment. A sad reality in two-thirds of the world is that women are treated as second-class citizens, and we don't have the rights that um, many of us in Canada and the States can enjoy. And so when I think about the women here in Ecuador, my heart goes out to them. I want to help them. I feel like they have no one to defend them, no one to be on their side to help them. And we are dealing with women in crisis here. We're dealing with women who have made big mistakes and gone to prison for it. And then when they get out of prison, they have no hope, no support system, no way to have a second chance. And in the same way, these girls that are pregnant, you know, they're young and they're looking for love. They're not getting it in their homes. And so they go where they think they're being loved and all they get is abuse and many times they end up pregnant. And then what do they do? Their families kick them out and they live this horrible story and pass it on to their kids. So why should you give? I just think that these girls, these women, they need a second chance. I just think that you're, for some girls, 
their only hope. We've all been given second chances, haven't we? Jonah got his second chance. I got my second chance. When Jonah went back to Nineveh and finally preached, the whole city came to Christ or to God. What would happen if all of us obeyed in our second chances? Maybe God would open up all of Erie, Pennsylvania. Who knows? In the sewing factory, we've made some of those recyclable bags that we take shopping. Uh, and we've got a hundred of those bags selling in Target in Rhode Island right now. If it sells well, we might get a bigger contract and give more women a job there in the sewing factory. So many things that God does in our life. So many opportunities to obey and help, even with the least of these. So we've seen open doors to the lost, open doors to the least. How about open doors to the last? And I'll close with that. In Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24 verse 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. A.B. Simpson believed that from this verse we could speed up Jesus' return by taking the gospel to other countries and other ethnic groups. Now, theologians are kind of saying, I'm not sure that's the right interpretation. I don't know if it's right or not. But wouldn't it be cool to be the one sharing the gospel with that last person that needs to hear? Wouldn't it be cool to be able to share Jesus with that last one and say, hurry up, man. Accept the Lord and we can all go home. I want to, I want to spend my life doing that. I want to spend my life, maybe that, maybe that person's in Ecuador or Peru where we live. Or maybe it's in Erie. Maybe that person's in Africa. But wouldn't it be cool to be the one that gets to share with that last one? Let's spend our time doing that. Reaching out to those who are in need, who are lost, and maybe, just maybe, the last. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for giving me a second chance. Even though I followed in Jonah's footsteps in some ways, I don't want to end like Jonah. <laughs> I want to obey you. Help each of us, Lord, as we look to you and we look around us and we see maybe there's some closed doors still to the lost. Usually there's always open doors to the least. And Lord, we want to give our lives to reach that last one that needs to hear so we can go home. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.